It's all about the bay. The Morecambe Bay podcast. For birds, this is heaven. Morecambe Bay offers the largest expanse of intertidal mudflats and sand in the UK. And here at Lake Moss, there's the largest reed bed in northwest England. A massive canteen is how this edition's guest on the Morecambe Bay podcast describes this area. He's gained a lifetime of experience in ornithology, and that's taken him all over the world. Now he's working to pass on this knowledge to a whole new generation, hoping to inspire the youngsters of today who'll be looking after the bay tomorrow. The RSPB's Visitor Experience Manager at Leighton Moss is John Carter. I was always interested in, in, in wildlife, in nature. Uh, you know, my, my, my childhood was spent with my arms down holes and peering into bushes and, you know, jars of frogs and newts and boxes of beetles and bits of fur and skin and feathers. I mean, I was just one of those kids who was just fascinated by by nature. And then I moved to Morecambe when I was about 11. And um, and then that was it, you know, it was, it was kind of, I'd been in a you know landlocked part of South Yorkshire prior to that. And then, you know, then to sort of find myself with the beach on my doorstep and everything that came with it. My, my, that was my transformation from being a general nature enthusiast child to actually becoming obsessed with birds, I think. Again, I'm still as fascinated by all, all nature, but birds really took a hold of them when I came to Morecambe. That, that changed because all of a sudden, there were tons of birds in front of me all the time. And as the seasons changed, the birds changed. And, and a, you know, a family friend took me to Leighton Moss when I was probably 12. And it was just, you know, it, it kind of changed my whole life, I guess. And in, in reality, you know, that's now kind of a small kind of claim. It really did change everything. Um, and it kind of really planted that seed that stayed with me my entire life. Um, to be working for the RSPB now and at the site where it all started is a huge kind of, you know, it's, 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 it's an amazing thing that's happened. Because I, I, as you know, I mean, I kind of had a completely different career, went off, um, you know, sort of graphic design, journalism, you know, kind of uh, into various media kind of areas and things. And then I kind of came around and I moved away to Canada um, and was there for a small number of years. And then I came back about eight years ago, something like that, nine years ago. And then I was kind of, what do I do now? What do I do, you know? And then there's no opening at the RSPB. I chanced my luck and it came to fruition. Most children generally are interested in nature. You know, they like birds, they like bugs, they like creepy crawlies, all that kind of stuff. But there is a thing, a certain age where they suddenly, I don't know, it's not, it's not encouraged almost. It's not encouraged as a cool thing or an interesting thing and kids, you know, uh, become isolated. And, you know, there weren't many kids of my age when I was at school who, who shared this interest. You know, we've always been a kind of a minority and that's still the case. But I think it's, it's, there have been changes in this past year. There's no question about it where families and things and people are starting to take notice of nature around them. People have been enjoying their gardens differently. People have been getting out because they've been restricted in movements. They've been kind of discovering more on their doorstep. And people, you know, in this area, certainly, and across the country, it seems, from, from what I've been reading and hearing, uh, have been discovering birdsong, discovering garden birds, discovering the things that are near to where they live. And it's changed the perception of it slightly. Things like Autumn Watch, Spring Watch are brilliant as well for changing that. But very often it talks to an audience that's already warm to it. Um, the weird positive, if you can even call it that, thing that's come out of, of the whole pandemic situation is that people have en masse realised that nature is actually something that helps them 
helps them mentally and it helps them physically and it's actually really interesting and hopefully you know we can see more young people feeling that they can kind of express their interest in nature without feeling you know that they're going to get picked on or or whatever because it is a bit of you know unfortunately it's a bit of a inverted commas nerdy subject you know and yeah it's just it's, it's endlessly fascinating i think i think people like chris packer have maybe done some good because you know he's, he's a character you know in the days and age where we were perhaps growing up you know there was people like johnny morris and people like that perhaps whereas you know chris packham's slightly cool a bit edgy some of the things he says you know are quite mm-hmm. sort of out there as well and then when you look at um you know the kind of aspect of like you said before the you know the the way that people now are encouraged to go for walks and things at school you know they're out they're outdoor schools for outdoor play area outdoor classrooms even in schools in Haiti that i know of so when it comes down to sort of encouraging kids to take an active interest it's more than just a kind of token you know let's go out and get some fresh air today and then that's it for for this term you know it's, it's perhaps it's, it's embedded and i wonder when yeah. it comes to sort of you know like maybe hinted before one of the, the, the side effects of the pandemic is staying close to home. So if you live in Morecambe Bay or live in the area, what a great place. How lucky are we, I guess, to have this on our doorstep. And I, I guess your hope is that in the future, you know, this is seen perhaps as something that people can build on and, and their interest. They can learn a bit more than just what kind of bird is that? You know, where does it go to hibernation? Mm. You know, things yeah. like that. I think so. I, th- I think what's really important is that people um, just learn to enjoy nature for what it is you know i don't think everybody has to be an expert or become a bird watcher or become a a, a kind of a specialist in any area whatsoever but just to be broadly interested i mean i think there was a period of time you know in the past 20 years where nature disappeared when i was a kid as, as I'm, I'm sure it was the same with you um you know there were things like nature tables in the classrooms and stuff that that thing that stuff was taken out it was totally removed and and um, you know the fears uh, whether they're real or imagined, of allowing children to go out and play outdoors on their own, unsupervised. You know, you can understand where that comes from, but what that's done is it's removed a generation from any connection with the outdoors and with nature, which can't be good for any, you know, for multiple reasons. Um, but also the fact that they are not passing on an interest to their children. I mean, loads of people in my generation had parents or grandparents who also had some knowledge and interest and pointed things out to you. Nowadays, you know, the majority of adults probably don't know one bird from another or one flower from another or one tree from another now is it important i don't know maybe it isn't but is it valuable well yeah it is to to people you know it is to us to understand where we come from um and just be i don't know it's it's a joy element surely that's missing from our lives if we're not connected to nature you're listening to the Morecambe Bay podcast. My guest today is John Carter, the RSPB's visitor manager at Leighton Moss. I asked him how the pandemic has affected the bird life of Morecambe Bay. It's funny, actually. It's, it's almost worked in a slightly opposite way here. Dare I say it, you know, the increase in people on the beaches with their dogs um, because they're not driving out somewhere to go for their walk out. They're kind of going from close to home. So actually, there's been an increase in disturbance uh, in, in some aspects of it because no one wants to walk past you know normally a busy promenade with people walking past one another that's fine it's all contained within that space but everyone's feeling kind of slightly nervous about close contact so they're kind of putting the wellies on they're spreading further out and they're, they're actually kind of they're actually kind of encroaching further out and they're actually creating a bit more disturbance and there has been this massive increase in in, in dog ownership as well you know over, over the pandemic and i get that i understand it and it's understandable so it's not it's not i'm, I'm not going to go at anybody you know but there are concerns around disturbance uh, of birds particularly in places like Morecambe bay where the numbers of birds that come here come here for a very specific reason and particularly in winter 
Um, you, know, you get higher mortality rates when birds are having to burn off energy constantly moving from one place to another um, because of disturbance. But I mean, there are certain areas, certainly where, like when we shut down in the first lockdown, we closed the reserve for a period of time. And when we went back, you know, things like the roe deer had completely got used to no one being around. So they were just walking up and down the pathways. Um, some birds had nested very close to the, to the pathways, one right next to a hide, where they wouldn't normally do that because there'd normally be enough footfall, enough traffic to keep them away a little bit. So in a, in a kind of subtle way, yes, it, it, it did kind of readjust a little bit to a more natural way of being. But um, yeah, we didn't get quite that, you know, herds of otters running through the middle of uh, Morecambe. I think Kendall did, didn't it? Kendall had otters so, right, yeah, right, right in the centre. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah uh, you know, and, and uh, little things like that are really yeah. lovely. To think about. Yeah, but we haven't had uh, hordes of badgers walking down. You know, <laughs> Not yet. <so. laughs> what about the reserve itself? I know you, you depend quite a lot on the, on the efforts and the help of volunteers. Obviously, volunteers can't come to the site, the site shot, I, I imagine. So, I mean, are, is, is there going to be a case of when you when we can go back to uh, to go into reserve and places like that, that there'll be a lot of work to do, you know, sort of things only cutting back because it's been left to grow because you haven't been able to go there? Yeah, luckily the wardening team have remained um, employed um, well, certainly after the first, we, we did shut down for a short period during the first lockdown uh, back in the, in March, April, uh, May. Uh, but since then, the wardening team have been working full time. So, uh, and some and during easings of lockdowns, they've been able to bring some of their volunteers back in periodically uh, to help. So they're still making you know good progress with as far as the, the, the habitat management and the land management on the site. Um, but yeah, I mean now it, it, the volunteers can't come in again at the moment. So um, it just um, yeah, we're just having to do what we can. Um, I guess the problem we've got really is when we look towards reopening again because we're closed as, as we're recording this now. Um, when we reopen, you know, we're going to have a lot of kind of path maintenance because it's going to start growing. It's going to you know as we head into spring, things start sprouting up, and we're going to have to make sure everything's nice and clean and looks great. It's been slight not not neglected. That's probably not the right word, but you know we haven't been keeping on top of the presentation of it um because we've been concentrating on the actual physical management of the site for, for nature rather than for the people so we're gonna have a bit of a bit of a spring clean to do i think when we get ready to, to reopen the people the places the bay this is the Morecambe bay podcast you're listening to the Morecambe bay podcast in this edition john carter the rspb's visitor experience manager at leighton moss is talking about his lifelong love of birds and how he's passing on his enthusiasm to the next generation. What about the long-term future of the reserve? I mean, it, it seems to have expanded, as I can recall, you know, a couple of years ago, you know, I think the RSPB bought some land on the other side of the road to, to Wharton, you know, and, 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 and dug it out, and it looks like it's been there for, forever. It's amazing. Have you got plans to expand it, or is it a case of just, just, just let it just settle now and, and just keep it as it is or what, what are your plans for the future well yeah i mean part of the bigger vision for the rspb and for well for all nature conservation organizations really is to try and make sure there's as much of the land is, is, is as natural as beneficial to nature as possible really um you know it's about making sites connected so the part of the barrow scout area that you're referring to which is on the other side of the railway line yeah um, um you know it's a big big ex or an extension of the, of the existing reed bed. Um, we've also got a place at Silverdale Moss. We've got some areas of water, which we're just in the middle of, of developing at the moment. Um, I mean, yeah, what we'd love to see is more places, um, whoever is managing it, but, but connected more. So that there's, um, so the thing about nature conservation is if it's all contained within a, a restricted area and it, and it can't expand, it's almost, it's almost, uh, 
reluctant to use the word, but it's almost like a zoo in a sense. It's, it's contained and it can't really do anything more than that. Um, you know, you've got to wonder if there's a point in that, you know, at the end of the day, it, it, for, for it to be really valuable, it needs to be kind of able to, you know, prosper in one place and move to another place and move to another place, move to another place, etc. But they have to be connected, you know, you can't have massive gaps between these places because they won't find them. So it's about a bigger, better, more connected landscape across the country really so we're always on the on the lookout for places and places to work with other landowners as well to help them develop that kind of thing so it might not necessarily be our land but you know as an organization we're keen to help others develop it so we work with our other partners you know the wildlife trusts and, and whatnot uh, and the national trust in order to be able to kind of facilitate this greater vision really we have to think big you know that's that's a reality nature needs our help we can't you know it will not do it by itself because of the, the restrictions around it um we own a huge amount of area a large amount of land i mean as well as the the, the, the sites that people know about around silverdale Side, that kind of area we also have a huge amount of actual Morecambe Bay that we manage um, the equivalent of about two and a half thousand football pitches nobody knows that really because it's not advertised as a nature reserve as such you know but it's still stuff that we monitor we manage we, we ensure is in good shape um, we'd like to do more of that you know we just want to make sure that there's more pristine or as close to it or managed habitat uh, as we can possibly um, uh, you know secure and, and protect for the future really for people you know and i wonder as well when it comes to sort of um, to Morecambe Bay and talking as we are on the Morecambe Bay podcast you know what, what what is your kind of thought and your feeling as somebody who lives and works locally in an area like this how, how do you feel about it not just as a you know somebody who works for the RSPP but as just as a resident you look out across Morecambe Bay how what does it make you feel it's, uh, it's it's pretty breathtaking isn't it at time when i when i worked at the the visitor office in Morecambe and I was down there every single day of the week you know like 17 years I was there and uh, you know I'd, I'd, for, for a number of years I'd cycle every single day and I'd, I'd go down the jetty in the morning before going to work and then I'd go out again at lunchtime I'd walk down at lunchtime and that, almost every single day you know that I was there um, for, for years and I mean and I'd primarily go just to see what birds I could see and depending on the weather I mean you know, it's, 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 stone jetties are really underrated as a bird watching site. It's fabulous. You see some amazing things up there. But it's also just that change of landscape. Every single day it changed. You know, the light as it fell on the lakes would illuminate the fells in a different way. You know, the, the height of the tide would change. And obviously that would change the landscape immediately in front of you. Whether you're looking at crashing waves or a kind of an ambient sea or miles of mud. You know, then the, you know, and then there'd be rain coming across in squalls and you, know, you look across the... To, toward Heesham and you see it kind of coming in from from the barrows there and you know it, it's that kind of breathtaking daily experience you know which is kind of hard to find a parallel for you know there aren't many places that change like that and are so dramatic and are actually quite so impressive I mean the, the whole promenade you know you walk from from one end from Happy Mount Park right the way down to to Heesham and then you know and you carry on around the bay around the other side to Grange and then all the way around to Cartmel and you know everywhere every single aspect of it has a has a, a new dramatic vista that's that's just pretty impressive really i mean i get distracted by the birds obviously but i mean oh, um, yeah yeah well the landscape itself is, is you know it's is enormously impressive because yeah. you've been to canada you said before you spent some time there actually lived there i mean that's that's pretty impressive itself isn't it for, for not just wildlife but views and you know, we're talking rocky mountains and you know sort yeah. of the pacific yeah. ocean for heaven's sake but would you say compared to that then how, how would you rate more convey 
It's, it's hard to it's hard to compare it. Um, I mean, where I lived on Vancouver Island, uh, I lived in Victoria, and we used to walk down to a place called Ross Bay, um, and we could look across the sea, and you'd see the Olympic Mountains in, North, in the USA on the other side in uh, Washington State. And we often used to say, you know, oh, just like walk over, you know, <laughs> sitting on a bench, <laughs> overlooking the sea, looking at these snow-capped mountains. It was kind of magnified to some degree. But, you know, um, it, it actually, as lovely as that was, it didn't quite have the drama uh, as regularly as, as more conveyed does. I mean, I mean, you know, the sunsets, as we know, are, are, are astonishing things, aren't they, over here at certain times of the year. Morgan's um, um, pretty, I mean, it's, it's kind of unique, isn't it, in that respect? People know that it's, it's famed for its, its sunsets, its views across the bay. I mean, the bay itself is massively important for so many things, isn't it? You know, from from uh, you know from the landscape to to livelihoods, you know, historically, and uh, you know, from nature and all the rest of it. It's just kind of it's it's a difficult thing to sort of sum up, isn't it? It's it's uh, it's, it's it's a very broad thing. Is is the concept of the bay? Uh, and I think uh, I think I think the Eden Project, you know, which is going to be hopefully focusing on that very thing, might might find a way to to simplify what the bay is to people because it's a it's quite a complex thing, really. So what about the future? We've heard how plans to change Morecambe are on the horizon, but other factors are at play in the world too. Recycling, you know, your plastic and whatnot is great, but that's not going to save the curly. We need to do more than that. It needs to be multiple governments. It needs to be a global initiative and we need to act pretty quickly. Uh, it doesn't, you know, I, I don't like to kind of go on about the doom and gloom. I'm always looking for the positive aspects, but uh, you know, the, I'm a realist as well, and it is, it is worrying. It really is worrying where we're, where we're heading if we don't do something about it. As for latent moss physically as well, I mean, you're talking like a, you know, a small rise in, in the sea level is going to cause inundation, isn't it? or more egg. I mean, there are issues now at certain times, you know, the neap tides, things like that, and storms as well will, will cause yeah. issues. If that, yeah, you know, yeah. if, if you were to lose the fresh water, become salt water. Again, that would be, I imagine that would be it, wouldn't it, for certain yeah. things and things like that? Landscape overnight, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think the big problem we've got now is that water levels are so high, as in freshwater. So the amount of rain that we get is, 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 uh, is way higher than it used to be. It's just a fact. We've been keeping records of rainfall for decades, and we know it rains more. So somewhere like Leighton Moss, even there's one place where I go to work, the water levels are higher than they've ever been at any point in its recorded history. Mm. Now... You know, we've only got one way of getting water out. We sit in a bit of a bowl, so we receive all the other rainwater. So when it rains, our pools naturally contain a lot of water, um, but then they also continue to receive water for days and days and days, and that's running in from the surrounding countryside. Now, not only is that adding to the water, but also because of the different kinds of uses of that countryside, we may also be getting lots of nutrients in, nitrates, and all the things that the farmers put on the fields to help the ryegrass grow or whatever it is. Uh, and that's coming into our water, which then affects plant life, which then affects vertebrate life, which then affects fish life, which then affects bird life and otters and all the rest of it. So it has a massive impact on the whole ecosystem. Mm -hmm. Now, the thing is, we can only get water out of one channel as well, out of Lake Moss, and it feeds out into the bay, and it's through a sluice channel, and twice a day, the tide comes in. <laughs> so the sluice is shut. So if you've got a lot of water in there, it doesn't just flow out. It takes days, days, weeks and weeks. And if you just keep getting rain and top-ups and rain and top-ups, it just never really goes down. And we've got to do some pretty major reed work, you know, reed cutting and things like that out in the reed bed. And you can't get into it because the water levels are too high. 
that means you can't do essential maintenance. It also means that the water levels are too high for things like bitterns and, and all, all sorts of other bits and pieces that need that mosaic habitat and landscape to survive in. Um, if essentially, you know, you, you, we could be in real trouble. I mean, the pathways now, it's end of January, isn't it? Early, fe um, yeah, we're in February now, aren't we? Yeah, February as we speak. And the, some of the footpaths have been flooded in the past week or so. Now, last year we had to shut sections of the reserve because it was flooded in February and again in October. Now, we kind of almost flood twice a year now in parts of the reserve, whereas these have been once every five years or so. Yeah, yeah. And also, I mean, just, I mean, you know, a site like Leighton is great because it is built for people to come out and enjoy the countryside in a, in a landscape they don't normally have access to. You know, you don't get a chance to walk through big, dense reed beds anywhere else. It's, a, it's the largest reed bed in northwest England. You know, you don't get a chance. I mean, spring and summer, walking in through there, the sound of reed warblers and sedge warblers whistling away and singing away, marsh harriers soaring overhead. It's brilliant, you know, and in winter with all the ducks and stuff, it's, it's an amazing place to come. And just spend time, whether you're a bird watcher or not, just to be really connected to nature. Um, but hopefully, yeah, we do. You know, the important thing is that people kind of go away having kind of thought about what this is and how we impact on it and what we can do to help it. Um, you know, hopefully, the more support we get and the more more interest people will have in it, um, you know, the, the the more we can do to to help protect um, nature and, and birds in particular. Yeah. Happily enough, you can follow John on Twitter, and I've just added more information about the work of the RSPB in this episode's show notes. To read them for this and other episodes, head to the Morecambe Bay Podcast Facebook page. This is Nigel Thompson. Thanks for listening, and until next time, enjoy the bay. Follow us and get in touch. Search Morecambe Bay Podcast on social media.